0: Well, what a week we've had. Doesn't it seem to you like there's a national tragedy every week now? I know watching television, seeing those images of devastation in Oklahoma City was, uh, was moving, wasn't it? And uh, the desperation on the faces of parents trying desperately to locate their children. It reminded me of a story I heard Chuck Swindoll tell number of years ago, it took place over in the Middle East, where a a father lived with his 10-year-old son, and one day, as happens a lot over there, a bomb exploded, and several buildings came crumbling to the ground, and when the father heard about this, his heart kind of leaped into his throat, because he realized that his son was playing with a friend right over in that same area where the explosion had gone off, and so he immediately checked around with friends and they couldn't, they didn't know where his son was. So he left work and headed straight for the, the wreckage. And uh, when he got there, his heart, he looked around, his heart just sank because he thought, how could anyone have survived? You know, tons of steel and concrete crumbling to the ground like that. And with his heart in his throat, he started pulling away at the wreckage, trying to find his son. He worked des- desperately all day And uh, all that night, he got a flashlight from some passersby and continued pulling at the wreckage all night, looking for his son, looking, looking, looking. All through the next day, he toiled, pulling big chunks of concrete and casting them aside, hoping against hope for some sound, some noise, some cry, something, letting him know that his son was still alive. And finally, the morning of the third day, he heard a sound, and his heart leaped within him. And he cried out, son, son, I'm coming for you, hold on. And he feverishly, frantically pulled wreckage away and cast it aside. Finally there was a little opening and a hand reached out through the opening. And he pulled his son and his friend to safety. And you can imagine the joy and jubilation and people hugging each other and weeping and giving high fives. Father hugged his son and his friend. And then the son turned to his friend and he said, I told you he'd come. I told you my father would come. He always promised us that he would protect us as a family. I told you he'd be here. My dad always keeps his promises. Well, I want to talk to you today about promises, and promises are powerful, powerful things, especially promises that are kept, right? In fact, when you think about it, the most important thing about any promise is the promiser. And the character of the one who's making that promise and their ability to make good on it. Now, this is Memorial Day weekend, which, as we know, is a, a national holiday devoted to remembering and honoring those who gave their lives in service for our country, who were willing to sacrifice themselves in order to protect others. And I think that there's an unspoken promise that is made by the citizens of a country to those who risk their lives to protect it, and it's this. Serve well on our behalf, even give your life if that's what is called for. Do that, and we will not forget you as long as we live. We will honor you, we will honor your service, your memory, and we'll seek to support your family in the event that you do not come back home. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, I'm wondering how many of you know or love someone who lost their life in military service for this country. Could I see your hands? Many, many, many of you around the room, you can go ahead and put your hands down. And a little later, you'll have the opportunity to honor that individual in a special candle lighting ceremony that we'll experience together. Well, here at New Life, we also call this weekend Hope Weekend, because each year at this time, we come together as a church family, not only to honor those who died in military service, but also to acknowledge all of our losses as a church family over this past year i've come to believe that this is a a necessary part of being a healthy church family you know the bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and what mourn with those who are mourning and that's just what church families do and today is set aside specifically for that purpose But in the midst of our mourning, in the midst of our grieving, it's so encouraging to know that we can grab hold of the promises of God, amen? God's promises, those covenant promises that give us a solid hope even in the midst of our grieving, they are certainly anchors for our soul. As many of you know, I was a church kid. I grew up in church. My parents took me to church on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday evening for prayer meeting and... In our church, we sang praise songs out of a hymnal, and I can remember dozens of services where we turned to page 187, I believe it was, and sang this song, and and the lyrics went like this, maybe you know it, standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring, glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God, and then the chorus... Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. That's how we sang it, anyway, in our church. And then one time I remember a crusty old preacher came in, and after we sang that song, he looked out at us and he said this, well now... Instead of standing on the promises, I think some of you have been sitting on the premises. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I guess that was true of some of us. Promises, promises. You know, I've made plenty of promises in my life to people, to God, and the truth is I haven't kept all of them. And that's probably the same with you. And I can think of people who promised things to me and didn't keep their promises, didn't follow through. (laughs) So, I'm not alone. That's happened (laughs) to some others. But let me say this this morning. With God, you can take his promises to the bank. You can. As I said, a promise is tied up in the character of the one who's making the promises, and no one has stronger character than God. No one is more trustworthy, more reliable than our God. And so his promises are really ironclad guarantees that he will assuredly do what he said he would do. And that is glorious. The Bible is very clear on the nature and character of God. Titus 1.2 says God cannot lie. Hebrews 10.23 says he who promised is faithful. And 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Some of you have been devastated by people who made promises to you and didn't keep them, who failed you, who let you down. Maybe when I read that story about the father going after his son, maybe your heart cringed a little bit because your father wasn't like that. He didn't keep his promises. He was unreliable. He didn't protect you. He failed to do what good fathers do. But I'm here to tell you that God is different. He's a different kind of a father than your dad or my dad. He is eminently faithful, supremely trustworthy, and he will make good on his promises. They are absolutely guaranteed by the death and resurrection of his own son. Not only can you count on God's promises because of his character, but also because of his ability. I mean, think about it. A promise is only as good as one's ability to actually deliver the goods, to make it happen. God has repeatedly demonstrated that He has what it takes. I mean, we're talking about the one who spoke and a universe was formed, who flung the stars into the galaxies, who handcrafted a human being from dust. This one told a barren couple that they would have so many descendants it would blow their minds, and then He made good on it and it happened. This is the one who supernaturally delivered his chosen people from a wicked tyrant, even opening up a way through the Red Sea for them to escape. This omnipotent God raises up world rulers and then he humbles them and takes them down. This God repeatedly rescued his people from all manner of threatening situations and then he raised his own son from the grave. That's the God who makes and keeps his promises. That's why the Bible declares that nothing is too difficult for God. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. Job said God is able to do all things. And of course, Paul wrote, God can do more than we can even ask or imagine. The ability of this promise maker, promise keeper, to actually keep his promises is unmatched. As the old worship song says, he is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns you today. And I love how Job put it once. Not one word, excuse me, Joshua, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So, if you're weary of being disappointed by people, by parents, and by politicians who make promises but don't keep them... Like Pedro who said, vote for me and all your wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> if you're weary of that, then turn your heart to the perfect promise-keeping God who dwells in heaven. Amen? Amen? The Bible speaks much of these promises. Listen to what Peter wrote in the opening of his second letter. 2 Peter chapter 1, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, verse 4 by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So, Peter believed that God's promises are great and very precious, and so do I. Do you? They carry with them the power to change us by enabling us to share in the very life of God himself, partakers of the divine nature. Now, I think we need to understand that if you flip through the pages of your Bible, you will find thousands of promises. One man numbered them up uh, above 7,000. I'm a believer that to rightly divide the word of truth, we need to know which of those promises apply to us as New Testament believers. Some preachers, in my opinion, make an error by boldly declaring that everything in there relates to us, so they cherry pick something God said to a king a few thousand years ago and they apply it to you and me. For me, I feel most safe banking on the promises that appear in the New Testament because I'm a New Testament Christian when I am reading the Old Testament and I come across a promise, I go look in the New Testament to see if Jesus and his apostles reiterated that promise and applied it to New Testament believers. That way I feel confident that I'm actually in the group that the promise was intended for. Does that make sense? That's me, that's where I'm at. It's like if you promised to buy your son an iPad, my son should not come to you and say, where's my iPad? Because you promised that to your son. This is part of rightly dividing the word of truth which God calls us to do. So I just wanted you to know where I'm at on that. And by the way, the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 8 that the covenant of which Jesus is mediator is superior to the old one and it is founded upon what? Better promises. And so the new covenant promises are better than the old covenant promises anyway. And here's an important thing to know. God's promises to his people are secured in Jesus Christ. Listen to this, listen. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul wrote, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. You say, what does that mean? That means that a prerequisite for experiencing the blessings of God to his people is being in Christ, being a believer, being a born-again Christian person all the promises of God are yes in Christ so Pastor Steve what are these exceedingly great and precious promises well you can pull that uh, study guide out of your worship folder I've tried to put it in a form for you today that you can take with you and tape it to your mirror at home or tack it to your bulletin board at work refer back to it again and again There are many, many new covenant promises. I've just pulled out, I think, what I got, 18 on there. And some of them I'll just touch on very lightly and others will pull over and park a little bit. We're going to do kind of a flyover of some of the most encouraging, hope-giving promises of God found in the New Testament. And what I want us to see today is that God has a promise for our every need. Did you know that? Everything you really need. Note that. Everything you really need you have a guaranteed promise from God for. He has secured it for you in Christ. I don't know if you believe that yet. I'm hoping by the end that you will. Well, let's dive in here. I I love this first one. Well, I love all of them, but I really like this first one. It's perhaps the most sweeping promise in the whole Bible. It's found at the beginning and at the end and all the way through it. It's the promise of God's eternal presence with his people. God's eternal presence with his chosen people. I find it in 2 Corinthians 6.16 where Paul wrote we, for we are the temple the dwelling place of the living God as God said I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people God wants to be with us would you say that with me? God wants to be with us now make it personal God wants to be with me Maybe there are some people who don't want to be with you. Maybe there are some people you thought were your friends who abandoned you or turn away from you. Maybe your spouse divorced you. Any of that can happen. But the God of the universe set his love upon you in Christ and he wants to hang out with you forever. And he pledged to do it. The end of the story, the grand story, reads like this. At the end of Revelation, it says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You can almost hear the sigh of satisfaction coming from the Father himself. Finally, we're all together and nothing will ever separate us. That is a glorious promise promise of God's eternal presence the second promise is one that is very precious and it's the promise of salvation and eternal life for all who truly believe in Jesus Now, you probably know this verse John three 16. let's say it aloud together in the in the version that we have here for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life And I am so grateful for that word, whoever, aren't you? That's a pretty open-ended invitation, isn't it? Whoever, fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, churched, unchurched, party boy prodigal, proud, arrogant Pharisee, whoever believes in Jesus is promised eternal, eternal life. It's hard to imagine a more glorious promise. We heard from a guy in our church this week who's been praying for his dad for years and witnessing to his dad and praying for his dad and witnessing to his dad with apparently no effect until just in the last couple weeks, his dad told him, you know what? I prayed this prayer recently. God have mercy on me, a sinner. (laughs) Wow. And God promises eternal life to any and all who will believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice glorious promise the next one number three is for for believers and it's the promise of cleansing forgiveness for all who confess their sins and you might know this verse as well say it with me if you do first john 1 9 i've cashed in on this one many times if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Now, this is not talking about being re-saved or getting born again, again, and again. This is not the legal pardon that makes people right with God. This is the daily cleansing that is needed because we walk through a dirty world. This is Jesus washing our dirty feet. This is coming to our Father in heaven with whom we've broken fellowship by our sin and humbly owning our sin before him and then accepting his promise to cleanse us and forgive us and by the way i'm going to give you a memorable statement this might be the most poignant thing i say all morning okay so you might want to write this down forgiven people forgive people jesus said as much didn't he forgiven people forgive people why because they know they've been forgiven much by god And so they turn around and extend grace to others. And by the way, thank you last weekend for giving witness to the gospel as one of our dear sisters stood up here and confessed her sin to our congregation and you forgave her. You gave evidence of the fact that you know you've been forgiven of much and you were willing to extend that grace to one of our our dear sisters in Christ. Thank you. We've been forgiven much, so may we forgive much. Well, promise number four is the promise of rest. That's just a great word, isn't it? Rest. Some of you are resting right now. (laughs) Maybe you're resting too much, so wake up. (laughs) The promise of rest for the burden weary who come to Jesus. He said this, came from his own lips, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, in its context, this promise specifically refers to people who have been burdened down by the heavy weight of religion, crushed under a massive load of rules and regulations and rituals, and to those worn-out people, Jesus offers the promise of rest if they will just come. Thank God, we say this around here a lot, thank God Jesus was perfect for us. He was perfect for us. He lived the life we could never live. That's the good news. So the pressure is off to have to perform to please God. Pressure's off. He performed for us. And when we get that, that, that causes us to want to live in obedience to Christ, right? Not in order to grind out obedience, to try to get God to notice us or like us, but because He loves us and we love him and we want to serve him. It's not a burden to us. It's a promise of rest. Performance-based religion is out. Grace-filled rest is in. Praise God. Number five, the promise here is of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised to give all who believe the Holy Spirit. I believe all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Not sure if... Uh, The Holy Spirit has all Christians. Here's what Paul wrote. Ephesians 1.13 And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed with the Spirit. You ever heard that phrase before? What a glorious promise this is. An indwelling comforter, counselor, empowerer, encourager, sanctifier, convictor, truth teacher, guide, and a few dozen other things that the Spirit does in us, ministries He has in us. God Himself living in us, wherever you go, He's right there with you. Amen? And what's the Holy Spirit's first name? Holy. On Mother's Day weekend, we were reminded of the truth of the sixth promise, which is God's providential working for the good of all who love Him. Again, you probably know this verse. It's one of the favorites in the Bible. Say it with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And so many of you have mentioned to me via email or in person that when Gabe and Monica shared their story with us on Mother's Day weekend, that that gave you a new appreciation for this promise that God works in all things. Not just some things, not just the pleasant things, but all things for the good of his people and for his own glory. So often we can't see it in the moment, right? But time and eternity will reveal this truth. God will bring good out of all things, even evil things. Now, number seven is one, again, that I've utilized many, many times, and it's the promise of wisdom, that God will give wisdom to believers who ask him for it in faith. It comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody fall in that category? Not sure what to do. Let him listen to Oprah. Let him turn to Dr. Phil. Let him go to Wikipedia. No, it says, let him ask God, (laughs) who gives generously to all without reproach. That means he doesn't shame you for asking. Oh, you again? No, he doesn't do that. And it will be given him, but let him ask in what? Faith. So there's a condition here. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed around by the wind. So this promise states that if you're facing a situation where you don't know what to do, you need wisdom, that you can ask God for it, believing he'll provide it to you, and he will. You ever experienced that? You say, well, Pastor Steve, what is wisdom anyway? Well, the working definition that I prefer is this. Wisdom is seeing and responding to all of life from God's point of view. That's really what wisdom is in the Bible. It's seeing everything in your life, every situation with God's lenses on from his vantage point, from his perspective. So when you're asking God to give you wisdom, you're actually actually asking him to give you his lenses through which to see your situation. Father, let me have your perspective. And gaining the right perspective is pretty important. Wouldn't you agree? Reminds me of a funny story about some parents who received a letter from their daughter who was away at college and it read like this dear mom and dad just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans I want you to know that I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim Jim did quit high school in the 11th grade and got married and that didn't work out very well and he's been divorced now for about a year but Jim and I've been going together for a few months now and we plan to get married this fall Until then, I decided to move into his apartment. I hate to admit it, but I'm also having a problem with drugs. And by the way, I think I'm pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although I would like to finish college sometime in the future. Well, his parents, you know, they're just stunned and shocked reading this letter. They turn it over to the backside to read on it. It says this, Mom and Dad, everything I've written so far is false. None of it is true. But it is true that I got a C minus in French and I failed a math test. I just wanted to put things in perspective. <laughs> it's good to put things in perspective, isn't it? And so when we take this promise to heart, we say, "Lord, do that for me. Put things in perspective here. Give me your wisdom." Help me to see things like you do so I can respond in a godly way. And the promise is when we pray that in faith, God sees that and He's prompted to give us what we seek. It's a great promise, wisdom. Number eight is the promise of fruitful ministry for those who abide in Christ. Jesus said this in John 15:5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. 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 Maybe in church you've heard this little saying or this little axiom before. We minister out of the overflow. You ever heard that before? We minister out of the overflow. We minister out of the overflow. And it always begs the question the overflow of what? Well, this promise tells us that we minister out of the overflow of a living, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. His life flows through us if we're connected intimately to Jesus. So if you want to improve your ability to minister to others, start there. Get close to Jesus Christ. It's his life, his power, his wisdom, his truth that flows out through us into the lives of others. Jesus promised fruitful ministry to those who abide in him. The next one, uh, the verse here is one that my mom made me memorize back when I was like six or seven and I had no earthly idea what it meant. Not a clue. I understand it a little bit more now. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So anything you're going through, someone else has been through. You're not alone. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See the promise? This is the promise of a way of escape for Christians who are being tempted. For the believer, it's saying every temptation comes with a divinely planned escape route. The question is, will we find it and will we take it? In my experience, sometimes the escape route is an interruption. I was going to sin, I was intending to sin, and I got interrupted. Sometimes it's a distraction, sometimes it's a flashback. Sometimes this way of escape takes the form of your mother's voice ringing in your head saying, if you do that, buddy boy, you're going to regret it. (laughs) Maybe that's the way of escape. For certain kinds of temptation, the escape route is simply run, (laughs) run, run away, run, Forrest, run. The escape route is the door over there. Like when Joseph was being seduced by Potiphar's wife, what was the way of escape? The door, get out of there. (laughs) Run like the wind, man. No matter how seductive the temptation, God has promised his children to provide a way of escape. You know what? You don't have to sin. And neither do I. There is an escape route. If we'll just believe God's promise of providing it. And find it. And take it. By grace. Number ten is the promise of God's nearness for those who are submissive and contrite. Some of you need to hear this today. Would you read with me James 4, 7, and 8? Submit yourselves therefore to God. God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let me say it this way. God promises that you're never so far away from him that you can't turn and come back home to the arms of the father. Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that what we see in the, the parable of the prodigal sons? Father waiting with open arms. I wonder how many of you have had a season in your life where you wandered far away from God? Can I see your hands? All right. How was it out there? Was it great? Or was it overpromised and underdelivered? Let me ask you this. How many of you found that God was waiting with open arms once you turned and came back to him in humble, confession and submission yes he's like that isn't he maybe that's why you needed to be in church today to hear a preacher get up and say you are not too far away from god if you'll just turn come back to him the bible word is repent right come back to the father because of christ he will take you back there's a lady in our church these days who years ago used to attend here she was a she was in a group i led like 20 years ago Then she wandered away from God and from the fellowship and got involved in all kinds of things. Several months ago, I saw her right here in church. And she met me right down front here after the service, and she said with tears, I think I'm ready to come back to God. I hope he'll have me back. And because of this promise, I could look her in the eye and say, he'll have you back. If you humbly repent and turn to him in faith, his arms are open. You're never too far from God. It's not You can't do anything that would cause you to be so far from God that he would not take you back if you come humbly to him. That's the kind of father he is. Praise God for that. And that lady's been back with the Lord and back here ever since. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, I don't have time to talk about the next three. You can look at these on your own. They're prayer promises to people who bring their needs and anxieties and worries and requests to God. He makes some wonderful promises to those folks. Number 14 is the promise of sufficient supply for people who are generous. That he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Wonderful promise. Number 15 Here's a verse to memorize, Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will finish what he started in you, completion of the work. You can count on it, God's not done with you yet, amen? If you're still breathing, living, God's not done with you yet. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell them, be patient with me, I'm a work in progress. Be patient with me. I'm a work in progress. Now, some of you are a piece of work, but that's something else. I'm a work in progress. God promised to mold and shape and form each of us into the image of his son, Jesus, during our lives here on this earth. But when you get to the end of your life here, however crisp that reflection is of him or however dull it is, when you first lock eyes with the second person of the Holy Trinity, you will be like him. Because you will see him as he is, the Bible says. God will finish in you the work that he began. There might be twists and turns along the way. There likely will be. But he will do it. He who promised is faithful. He will do it. You can take that to the bank. It's signed, sealed in blood, and delivered. Those he justified, he also glorified, past tense, as if it was already done. Praise God for that. Now, these last three promises apply specifically today to us as we take some time to remember and acknowledge our losses and grieve over them. Number 16 is the promise of Christ's return. For all true believers. I think I've started uh, on your outline there at verse 2 or 3. But I'm going to start back at verse 1. Just listen to the promise. Jesus speaking from his lips. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. There's the promise. And take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. That's a promise. I'm going away to prepare a dwelling for you in my father's house. When I'm done, I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be with me and we'll be together forever. And when that day finally arrives and Jesus appears in the clouds, there's going to be a glorious reunion that's going to take place that will be unlike any family reunion you've ever been to. Or any class reunion you've ever been to. Here's how the promise uh, number 17 reads from Paul's writing. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left. Will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that's a promise of a reunion one day for all those who are in Christ, all true believers. You know, just a few weeks ago, our dear Linda Coleflesh slipped through that curtain, didn't she? The curtain that separates time from eternity. She went to be with her Savior, Jesus Christ, and there was a gravesite service. First off, there was a memorial service here, and it was glorious. I mean, people stood up and testified to how this woman believed and how she lived her life. People from neighborhood and from work and from church it was stunning then we went to the grave site and as I do at every grave site when a believer has passed on I read this passage to the people there and I told the 50 or so people who were clustered around this casket about to be lowered into the ground I said this for believers is not goodbye it's so long for now it's until we meet again in the clouds with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This promise tells us that we will see Linda again on the other side. I will see my grandparents again. You will see your loved ones again who were in Christ, who passed on. It's a wonderful promise. The dead in Christ will rise. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Notice that it says the Lord himself will come. You see that? You're not going to send some low-level ambassador or representative or cabinet member. No, Jesus himself, the same Jesus who lived in eternity past, who appeared in the Old Testament, who put on a robe of flesh and came to this earth, born in Bethlehem's manger, that Jesus, who grew up and lived that beautiful life that we could never live, that perfect life of obedience, who died an atoning death for our sins, who was raised from the grave the third day, who gave his disciples the great commission, go spread the gospel throughout all the world, and then ascended back up into heaven. That Jesus who was up is coming back down for us one day. The Lord himself shall come. That's going to be a great day. Glorious moment. And I'm thinking as I'm standing there at the graveside, apart from this promise, what do we really have? We would grieve like other men who have no hope but we have this exceedingly precious promise from the lips of Jesus Christ. We do have hope because we have the promises. Thank you, Jesus. And then the last one that I'll mention this morning, not the last one, but the last one I have time for, sweeps us into the stratosphere and into royalty and into power and divine authority. It's the promise that we will sit with King Jesus on his throne one day. From Revelation 3, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Who's speaking? That's Jesus Christ. It's the promise to his people that they will reign with him forever. It says overcomers, to him who overcomes. Who are overcomers? Well, in the Bible, overcomers are those who live their lives by faith. By believing these great and precious promises of God, even though they can't see God, can't see eternity, and can't see heaven, they believe it anyway because it's written in his book. They simply take God at his word and believe it. And all overcomers one day will inherit the complete fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people and that includes reigning with our king forever and ever and ever. So, thank God all of his glorious covenant promises to his people amen then get much better than that and there's not just 18 there's dozens and dozens and dozens and you can look them up for yourself he has given a promise for our every need and God's character and his supernatural ability assure us that he will make good on every last promise he made to us God is the ultimate promise keeper that's what we're saying today and so as, as we finish, we ask, how should we respond to hearing about the promises of God? Let me suggest three responses that I believe are appropriate. Number one is to believe them. Believe them. Take them to heart. Embrace them. Believe them. Two is to thank God for them. You ought to get up. We all ought to get up every day, really, and just say, thank you, God, for all of your great and precious promises. Without them, we would be lost. Believe them. Believe them. Thank God for them. And third, pray them back to God in faith. Now God, you said, (laughs) you promised, I'm I'm taking that one to the bank today. Pray them back to God in faith. Take these promises on the sheet and pray them back to God in faith. I don't think God minds being reminded by his kids of the promises he made to them. You said it, God. I'm counting on you to come through. And I believe that's exactly what each of us needs to do today as we prepare now to enter into a a solemn and sacred time when as a church family we acknowledge our losses from this past year. And really we're coming today to acknowledge any and all losses, big and small. And we give each other in our humanness, permission to grieve, right? Permission to grieve. This morning we're going to acknowledge our losses by coming and lighting a candle. Those of you who have been with us for a few years know how this works. There are little votive candles up here and there are lighters all along the way. You come and light a candle and it really creates a memorial of the special and important place that had in your heart and it's also a symbol of faith that you're believing in the light of God's promises going forward so pastor Brian is going to come in a moment and lead us into this time but right now I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and prepare your hearts for this Lord Jesus as we do we do say thank you for your promises Wonderful, glorious promises. By faith, we receive them this morning. We believe them this morning. Help us to take them to heart, to pray them back to you in faith. And right now, Father in heaven, I pray that the blessed Holy Spirit, whom you've given to your people, would minister his healing salve of comfort to hearts that are wounded, and hearts that are grieving. Lord, many, many of us in this church family have experienced losses this past year. For some, it's been the loss of a grandparent or a loved one, a miscarriage, loss of a job, or a friendship that we held dear that turned sour. There's so many different kinds of losses, Lord. Regardless of what they are, may we truly bring them To you this morning, experience the comfort of your Holy Spirit and of the body of Christ. Minister to your people now, I pray in Jesus' name.
1: As has become a tradition here at New Life, we begin this time by lighting a candle for each New Life ministry partner who has graduated into heaven since last Memorial Day. In December of 2012, Raleigh Callion went to be with the Lord, really just a young man who had fought through life. In January 2013, our sweet sister Irene Pratt went to be with the Lord here on Sunday and passed into eternity on Tuesday in February of 2013 Barry Duell went to be with the Lord had just retired in January that same month that precious little boy Taryn McCarroll who had touched so many lives in just a few short years went to be with Jesus And as Pastor Steve talked about, in April, Linda Colflesh, our dear sister who fought a long, valiant battle with cancer, went to be with Christ. Then we also light a candle in memory of all of the babies who this past year have gone to be with Jesus. as our worship team sings, as our prayer partners are here at the front, we have the opportunity, each of us, to come to this altar and acknowledge our losses. It might be a family member or a close friend who has passed into eternity. It might be a broken relationship, a shattered dream, maybe even the loss of innocence. Whatever your loss I'd encourage you to come and light a candle in, in remembrance and in dedication of that memory to God, trusting him, even in the hardest of times, knowing that God understands loss and he cares for you. Because this is Memorial Day in the U.S., many of you may want to come and light a candle in honor of a family member or a friend who lost their life in defense of our country in the military. You can come and light that candle and then take a flag in memory of that person. I'd also ask that because we are a community, as people come, that if a friend or a family member comes, that you come and join them and pray with them and over them in this time of memorial. Again, our prayer partners are here. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I'd encourage you to come and use them too. Let's enter into this time. remembrance. God we come trusting you as always being able to put everything in your hands as a God who chose to suffer loss so that you could understand our loss and God we we can trust you because that loss gave us salvation. As we come today God, come and settle in with your peace on our grief. We trust in you. In Christ's name.